This episode is full of spoilers and contains some not-so-super language. Citizens, welcome to the Fortress of Potitude. I'm Dave Michaels. I'm Brian Betts. And we are the Cape Podcasters. And this is the show, That's If. What is if? It's if. What is if? It's if. Faith no more. You want canon, but you can't have it. <laughs> I never understood the lyrics to that song, and I love it. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a song, that's for sure. Do you know how long I thought that was by the Insane Clown Posse? Probably too long. It's Faith very, No More, bud. Very long. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why would you think ICP would do that? You know, I'm very unfamiliar with the catalogs of both bands. That's very, very fair. So. But I know something that you are familiar with, and it's what we're talking about today. Marvel's got a new show on Disney+. Plus. Well, I should say, had a new show on Disney+, Plus because right. it's over now. We, we're done. We're not doing it the way we usually do it. We're waiting for it to end, and then we're talking about it all at once. That's just so much easier, at least for this one, because lots of stuff happens with this one. It's Is it canonical? Maybe, probably. It could Maybe. be. Maybe. Someday. Who knows? Who knows? But today, we are talking about this year's, 2021's, What If? It's the MCU, but cartoons. <laughs> That's right. Have you ever read any of the What Ifs? I have only read one or two What Ifs, I think. So what if started out as a comic and it's kind of like a fan favorite type thing because the idea comes around from all these people just kind of sitting around saying, oh, what if this happened? What if this happened? What if this happened? Oh, how all of us fans act all the time anyway. Right. And Marvel's like, hey, it's 1977. Let's just do that. Let's just, what they're saying, let's just do it. So like, what if Spider-Man joined the Fantastic Four? And they realized what they said right off the bat. And that's why Spider-Man on the cover says Fantastic Five. Yep. <laughs> but what if it's been around for decades at this point? A very long time. And it is a really good choice to turn that into a show, especially in this age of Marvel, in this age of superheroes that we live in now, because we have enough behind it that we've seen so far, that we've lived through, that we can kind of ask these silly questions. Yeah, you've established enough of a universe that now you can start to play with it a little bit. And oh boy, do they. They sure do. Nine episodes worth of playing with it. <laughs> was that supposed to be an innuendo? It was not, but I heard it when it came out. That, that's another one. And I guess the punchline there would have been, I call that a Saturday. hey hey <laughs> Do you just want to get into this thing right away? Because there are nine episodes that we have to talk about. Yeah, we might as well launch ourselves into the multiverse. So we're going to go episode by episode kind of just bullet pointing what happens because a lot of these stories you kind of get the gist of already yeah but obviously because it's what if the changes occur and then the story unfolds in beautiful cell shading the animation style is unreal i had to get used to it it probably took me two episodes to feel comfortable with it and then by the last one i was like all right now you're just showing off i was going into it i was nervous about it but by the end of the first episode i was like nope this works it really does. Let's get into that first episode. Episode one, what if Captain Carter were the first Avenger? We are immediately introduced to a brand new character, 
not the aforementioned Captain Carter, but The Watcher, voiced by Jeffrey fucking Wright. I don't know how many fuckings is like appropriate for him. Like, I feel like only one is offensive in a way. Yeah, but unfortunately, two names, you know? That's a good point. Not many other places to put it. No, he needs more syllables. That's what he's missing, or like a hyphenate, even though yeah. we kind of gave him a hyphenate. So realistically, if his legal name was Jeffrey fucking Wright, then he could be Jeffrey fucking fucking Wright. I feel like fucking Wright is a great name to have. If I could change my name, it would be that. Just a fucking Wright. <laughs> I'm not Mr. Wright. I'm Mr. Fucking Wright. <laughs> that is like the ultimate power move. The Watcher sets up this story. It's a lot like the origin of Captain America, but he tells us that Peggy Carter changes this timeline by staying in the room while Steve Rogers is being administered the super soldier serum. And I love that beginning because this is such a simple change from the story that we know and love from Captain America, the first Avenger. She leaves the room. Right. In this one, she doesn't. That is the only change. And that's all it takes for the entire timeline to diverge. Heinz Kruger launches his normal attack, but this time it's before Steve goes in to get the serum instead of after. He ends up getting shot, and he's too weak to undergo the procedure. So now, everybody's running around. We got to do something. This whole mission's going to fail. Stark jump in the machine, and Howard Stark's like, no, I'm not doing that. So Peggy (laughs) jumps in. I guess she's like the next best thing. So why not? I guess. Well, Colonel Flynn is like, not you. And she's like, I'm going to do it. Dive on in. And uh, she gets transformed. She becomes Captain Carter. She gets huge and ripped, and they do a really, really good job animating that because she's enormous now but they she's still kind of make giant. sure that they keep that feminine look to her it's not like an amazonian death by snoo snoo type <laughs> look to it it still right. works it's it works very well even though the internet started losing their minds like oh her shoulders are too big it's like bro she's animated there's a, a bunny Relax. and a yeah. duck who often fight each other in the woods and change signs for what season it is to hunt shut your mouth you fucking nerd Nailed it. It's Peggy season, damn it. It better be from now on, because she kicks ass. She's pretty great. There's no USO tour for her, though. It's just good old-fashioned sexism that keeps Peggy on the sidelines. Which is unfortunate. Sure is. But it does kind of fit the story that they're trying to tell here. So Peggy launches her own solo mission, where she intercepts the Tesseract and Arnim Zola and kidnaps him. Keep that name in the back of your head. He's going to stick up a couple times. Sure is. Pop up, stick up, whatever, you know. I uh, Do I? Because uh, Bonnie and Clyde go into a bank, they're not going to say, this is a pop up. <laughs> it would be very different. It would be hard not to laugh. It would. Tell you the truth. <laughs> I'm having a hard time right now not laughing. This is a pop up. A, a pop up what? Like, I know Kevin Smith's doing the pop up movies, but this is a bank. And I feel like you and those guns want my money. Is it a pop-up gun show? What is happening? (laughs) This is in Texas. Stark uses the Tesseract to power the Hydra Stomper, a big old suit of armor, as Starks are are often making. Sure. And he gives the suit to Steve. He says, hey, you're a scrawny little guy. You could probably use this. And then Peggy, Steve, and the Howling Commandos go out and fight against Hydra the way they do in the first Avenger. But this time, when they're on their little train adventure, Peggy saves Bucky from falling off the train. And he doesn't become the Winter Soldier, but Steve does fall. Which is a problem. But I like how, since this is a very, very different story now, because it is Captain Carter, you can have these other little divergence happening underneath it, because this is just a totally new story. 
Right, butterfly effect. Exactly. I think this is a really good one to start out with, too, because they do follow the story of that movie yeah. so well as it goes through and just change little things as it goes along. So you're like, this is comfortable. I can be okay with the changes. Yeah, because it doesn't jar you in the first episode. It's like, we're going to hold your hand through this, and we're not going to do anything too drastic to scare you. We're just going to introduce the concept of, you know, changes in the multiverse. Turn and face the strange. We're not there yet. <laughs> we'll get there. So Peggy interrogates Zola and finds out the location of Red Skull's Hydra base. So she takes the Howling Commandos on a mission to fight Hydra, and while they're there, they find Steve, and he's still alive, so that's nice. I agree that's nice. He's a little scrawny dude. You don't want a little scrawny dude eating it. That's never what you want. It turns out Red Skull had retrieved Steve, the Hydra Stomper, and most importantly, the Tesseract, which he's now using to open an interdimensional portal to unleash a giant squid monster. Sure, why not? Captain Carter, Steve, they're going to fight the squid monster. Peggy's like, you know what? I'm good. I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'm big. I'm bad. You're scrawny. You don't need this. I'm going to go out. I mean, he had the Hydra Stomper. Yeah. Probably could have. But Captain Carter, she's going in full force. She says, you're she a machine. Is. I'm all lady, bitch. Like, <laughs> don't call Steve a bitch. That's not nice. <laughs> as long as she wasn't referring to herself as all lady, bitch. That's true. <laughs> I don't think she was in this made-up situation. <laughs> <laughs> we should point out that the uh, the giant squid monster that Red Skull summoned killed Red Skull, like, immediately. Oh, immediately. It wasn't even close. So Captain Carter pushes the monster back into the hole and then, of course, is trying to set up a date with Steve to go dancing because we have to have those parallels. Sure. Make it comfortable. She goes into the hole. She goes into the portal and she she goes bye-bye. And then the portal opens to Nick Fury and Hawkeye. And Captain Carter exits now 70 years in her future and very late for her date with Steve. As it tends to go. Yes. Very familiar. Feels very safe and homey. It does. Let's break it a little bit. Okay. Because the next one is, what if T'Challa became Star-Lord? And those yeah. are two things that do not mix. They are very different ideas. But I love how they got there. Because the entire crutch of this one, of how it actually makes the changes, Yondu's Ravengers, they accidentally kidnapped T'Challa instead of Peter Quill. That's it. That's the whole thing, yeah. Hey, that's a kid. That, that's probably what they're looking for. <laughs> so T'Challa, as Star-Lord arrives on Morag, just like the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy, to retrieve the Power Stone, and he's met by Karath the Pursuer. And instead of the whole, who are you, Karath is like, oh, you are the legendary Star-Lord, and he joins the Ravagers. Just like that. It's awesome. A Ravagers team, which of course includes Yondu, and Thanos. Yeah, that's a bit of a drastic change there. Yeah, T'Challa apparently convinced him to abandon his genocidal mission, with just, you know, a friendly chat. Just hanging out, just wants to understand the man. That's all it is. He connected on a human to whatever Thanos' level. <laughs> Titan. That! <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta talk it out, man, you know? That's it! But I love this Thanos, because he's actually really funny. He's hilarious. And Josh Brolin is killing it. Josh Brolin is demolishing it, but the entire time, he still has, like, this little bit of genocidal maniac built in there. And there everything is, yeah. always comes back to like, ah, you know, I could kind of make everyone disappear with like half like a snap here. Like, it's not hard to do. <laughs> Almost makes you kind of wish there's only half of whatever that thing was you were just talking about. Right. So Nebula enlists the help of the Ravagers to retrieve the Embers of Genesis, which is the MacGuffin of this story. Sure. From the Collector, who's like the new Thanos. 
You take away a Thanos, and obviously a Benicio Del Toro is going to rise in his place. And that's pretty neat that Benicio Del Toro came back to do the voice. And a lot of these actors came back to do the voice for their characters. A lot didn't also. It's not important who. Chadwick Boseman, though, kind of important. Kind of important, and also not a voice actor. No, no, he's not. A lot of these people are not voice actors. They're doing kind of that weird stiffness that you might get in like Invincible, where it yeah. doesn't feel like a lot of the emotions going into it all that much, but it's really meant to be all visual for the most part. And I think yeah. that's a really neat choice. Yeah, and it is a treat to have him here, though. It is. Was this his final stuff that he did? Yeah, this is it. It's nice. It's a good touch. I like how he's just playing with it. Yeah, absolutely. So they go to nowhere, and Thanos and Karath distract the Black Order who are now working for the Collector, and Yondu and Nebula sneak T'Challa into the Collector's collection under the guise of they're looking to sell the Power Stone. Would you call these guys like the new Guardians of the Galaxy in a way? I guess kind of. uh, They kind of are, but they're kind of also just band of misfits that just came together, which is very Guardians-like, but we'll get to what the Guardians are later. They're they're kind of somewhere between the Guardians and the Ravagers. I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, because they're not quite Ravagers. I mean, they do a lot of the stealing and the whatnot, but they're more benevolent. They're more like a Robin Hood of the of the sky, of the, the cosmos. I think that's a pretty good way to break it down. So after T'Challa is snuck in, he enlists the help of Howard the Duck. Uh, that's Howard fucking the fucking duck. Yeah, that's right. He enlists his help to find the Embers of Genesis in the collection, but instead he finds a Wakanda spaceship where he activates... A hologram of T'Chaka. That's got to be a little jarring. Yeah, especially because Yondu's been telling him his whole life that he tried to bring him back, but his home was exploded. It's all gone. I feel like Mori should have come out here, a cel-shaded animated Mori with an envelope saying, uh, turns out that was a lie. <laughs> and he just goes back <laughs> off screen. You're like, why? Howard the Duck was a good enough cameo. Why did we get Mori Povich? I could see Mori Povich being part of the collector's collection. I'd collect him if I got the chance, for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Just for that moment. Exactly. <laughs> totally worth it when you Just think about it. Whenever you find out somebody's lying about something, you bring in Mori. <laughs> so T'Chaka tells T'Challa that Wakanda was not destroyed at all, and they've been searching for him for years, which is how the Collector managed to get this Wakandan ship. T'Challa's not too happy about that. Well, why would he be? Oh, you took me from a family, you told me you'd bring me back, and then you said you couldn't, but you could have. But he's got a pretty sweet life going on also. So that's got to be a little confusing. Yeah, it's got to be one of those moments where you're like, I've done all this good for the universe, but also like mommy and daddy. This is kind of like an anti-Austin Powers type thing in a way. Because let's just say that if T'Challa were to get like knighted by the space queen of Space England, or whatever yep. it is, for doing all these good deeds that he does, because he's very benevolent. And he looks at the empty chair there. It's like, a, Daddy wasn't there because his, pl- his planet was blown up or whatever Wakanda is. <laughs> and that's how you don't get Michael Caine in this show. Which is a shame, really. It, it Michael really shame is. at that point. <laughs> that's a play on words, almost. Almost, not even, though. When things don't <laughs> rhyme, that's just lazy, really. <laughs> Rhyming is hard. I get it. So the collector finds out the embers of Genesis are missing. And he's like, hey, you guys, you're pulling some shenanigans here. So T'Challa and Nebula have to fight the Collector. And there are double crosses and triple crosses. And then it turns out that they were working together the whole time, even though it seemed like Nebula turned them over to... It's a whole thing. It is a whole thing. Go watch it. Jeez. Watch the show. Come on. It's just a recap. 
So T'Challa, Nebula, and Yondu get away while the collector's collection turns on him, which is never what you want. No. <laughs> I got to imagine that's a lot like a Toy Story 2 situation. Yeah. Like if Woody got murderous and killed Wayne Knight. Right. Or maybe a Toy Story 1 situation where all of Sid's toys turned on Sid. That did happen, though, didn't it? It's probably that a better, actually happened. better it, parallel. That is much better parallel. <laughs> if we're going Toy Story. That's, I mean. I'm always living that headcanon, baby. All right. So I don't have any friends named Andy, because they were coming. I'm just laying down. Me and Andy aren't getting anything done. Write your name on my foot. <laughs> That's a weird way to talk to Andy. <laughs> That's why I don't have any Andy friends. That would have made the Shawshank Redemption much weirder. <laughs> Andy Dufresne, <laughs> please write your name on my foot. Like that weird Elvis kid who came in and then died real quickly in that movie. Yeah, so quick. I bet he would show off to Red that Andy Dufresne wrote his name on his foot in permanent marker. And Red would just be like, that motherfucker. <laughs> Try to steal my Andy. He even did the end backwards. <laughs> would have been better if like, it turned out Red was like an action figure the whole time. Like it's a weird Twilight Zone thing. And it turns out that Andy Dufresne and like the letter that Red opens at the end of it, he says, I wrote the destination of where you need to go on the bottom of your shoe. But because now he's an action figure, Red, and he's also 70 years old, he can't actually look at the bottom of his shoe. Can't bend. Yeah. So it's a lot like the glasses breaking. Like, we had time. There was time. <laughs> there was time now. It's got bad joints. He can't look. He won't ever know what they want to know. It's... That's a lot of word to put on the bottom of an action figure foot. Well, yeah. And you have to assume the guy's been walking around on that for like 60 years. It's smudged. Oh, it's, it's got to be smudged. It's very smudged. He's got to use his memory banks for that. He might not. It'd be a much more realistic ending to that movie. <laughs> somehow. That's our what if for Shawshank. We did it. We nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> what if everyone in Shawshank was a toy? Done. We got I there. I would totally watch that. <laughs> so T'Challa and Yondu re- reconcile on the, uh, the Wakandan ship that they stole from the collector. And they bring it back to Earth. And T'Challa introduces his found family to his birth family. It's very nice. And it's actually a very good send-off for Chadwick Boseman. It is. And he comes back, though. He sure does. So it's a good send-off. It's a, it's a good ellipsis on his story. Yes. Also, there's like a almost post credit scene that could have been a post credit scene, but they didn't do any of those until the last episode where Ego finds Peter Quill at a Dairy Queen. Love it. Big fan. It's like, hey, they're still doing the thing, kind of. Kind of think it would have been funnier with Baskin-Robbins just because Ant-Man? And I love yeah. that scene so damn much, but it is appropriate to do a Dairy Queen. Sure is, because of the Guardian's connection. Sure is. And that brings us to episode three. What if the world lost its mightiest heroes? I don't know what would happen. We would probably have to find new heroes. The Watcher. Tell me, bud. Or watch. He doesn't really tell so much. He just watches. He does a lot of telling. He sets it up, and then he's just like, all right, now it's all set up. My favorite part is that who's he telling? Just himself? We'll get there. We'll get there. That's right. This episode is based on Nick Fury's big week, as it's known in the canon. And really, instead of a big week, he's just having a really bad week. Right. It starts off, Nick Fury and Black Widow are recruiting Tony Stark for the Avenger Initiative, just like they do in Iron Man 2 when he's suffering from the poisoning from his own thing, you know? Yep. And Natasha goes to give him the uh, the lithium dioxide shot, and uh, he dies. Yeah, that goes off the rails pretty quickly because you're like, that's not supposed to happen. 
one minute he's in a donut, the next minute he's dead. <laughs> it's happened to all of us when you really think about it. What if Dunkin' Donuts poisoned half of its America that runs on it? Actually, it would be like one in every dozen is poison. So, you know, good luck. <laughs> just, just start throwing munchkins at America. Dunkin' Roulette. America runs from Dunkin'. That is definitely the way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I like how Starbucks is just probably sitting there across the street just going like, what's our gimmick? Why aren't we killing anybody? <laughs> we need a new business model where we murder people. We don't need this weird, sexy mermaid arm thing as our logo. They have straight up murder. <laughs> we don't even know what we have. I imagine this takes place in the Purge universe. <laughs> Sponsored by Dunkin' Donuts. (laughs) Are you tired of your neighbor's political signs during voting season? (laughs) Just wait for the purge. Sponsored by Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts. Where every once in a while, your box of Joe is actually a box of Joe. (laughs) Oh, man, just open that up and just drink that sweet Joe. Yeah, I understand he was delivering your paper last week, but he's delicious. (laughs) So Black Widow, she gets accused of murdering Tony Stark. Why? I don't know. She gave him the, the lithium dioxide and he died. That's enough. I guess so. I feel like somebody gave her that to give. I don't think she made it. But yeah, Tony Stark's dead. We got to blame somebody. But Fury's like, I know it wasn't you. And he helps her escape S.H.I.E.L.D. custody so she can look into what actually happened. And about that time, Mjolnir is found in a desert and Thor comes looking for it. As he does. And just like in the Thor movie, Hawkeye's there watching over the hammer. And when Thor goes to pick it up, he gets shot by an arrow. That's what Hawkeye has. And Clint's like, I didn't do that. We're like, buddy, you're the only guy here with bow and arrow. (laughs) It's the thing everyone makes fun of you for. Like, we know exactly who did this. There's nobody else it could be. So they lock him up. And then while he's in custody, he also dies. (laughs) It's not great. We're just killing everybody. So after Natasha escapes from S.H.I.E.L.D. in a pretty cool scene that's reminiscent of the elevator scene with Steve Rogers, she goes and visits, who else? Betty Ross. Remember her? Remember Hulk? They're actually admitting that it's part of the MCU again. They have to, apparently. And Louis Terrier's <laughs> like, give me my royalties. <laughs> so she goes to Betty to find out what it was that killed Stark. And Betty's like, oh, it wasn't the antidote. It didn't even leave the syringe. There was some sort of tiny projectile that got him. Also, Bruce Banner is there, and Nick Fury calls, and he's like, hey, you got to look for Bruce Banner. He's next on my list, and that's where all these people who are dying are listed. Also, you're on the list. Have fun. That's not great. You don't want to end up on lists for the most part in general. Yeah. But if it's a recruit list that also happens to be a kill list, like you especially don't want to be on that. And you would think Nick Fury would stop recruiting at a point when he recognizes, wait, all these people are on my recruit list and they're dead? Let me just call the next one just to make sure. Yeah, let me, yeah, I mean, like, maybe one more. Who knows? It's about that time that Loki and an entire Asgardian army arrive to avenge Thor. And Nick Fury greets them, and he's like, hey, what are you clowns doing here? And Loki's like, we're here to avenge Thor, like, like you just said. And Fury's like, give me a day. We have the same enemy. I'll find him, bring him to you. Seems reasonable for them not knowing each other at all. Yeah, it does. In Loki's a 30-minute like, show. Fine. <laughs> General Ross's army shows up to the school, as they do in the Hulk. And Banner, he's there with Natasha because they, he immediately shows up when he finds out he's in trouble. And then he gets shot. Just like real quick, gets shot. They don't waste any time. 
and he starts hulking out, but then he just keeps hulking out, and then he explodes. There's <laughs> Hulk juice everywhere. It's gross and awesome. Yep. Natasha seems to have figured out everything. She's cracked the case. She's in a library looking up S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff. She's like, wait a minute, that person's dead. How'd they access the files? She calls up Fury, and then she gets murdered. Yeah, everyone's dying here because that's just in the title, really. We're losing all of our mightiest heroes. Luckily, while she's being murdered, she's leaving a message for Nick that hope is is the answer. There's, It's all about hope, which seems super cryptic. You probably could have just said, Hank Pym is killing all of us, because guess what? <laughs> Hank Pym is killing all of them. You know, the little guy who's able to get inside people with small syringes if he had to? That guy. Yeah, there was a big hint right there. It was some sort of tiny projectile. That screams Ant-Man to me. Oh, yes, it does. So Fury's going to visit the grave of Hope Van Dyne. He finds Hank Pym. They do the fight. And Fury's got some pretty sick moves here, because he's not Fury at all. It's Loki. Boom! Another double cross. Pretending to be Fury. And just beating the shit out of Hank Pym, because Loki, one of his special powers, punching really small things. It's a very specific power, but it's good he had it this time. It sure is. Um, And then after they solve all that and they get rid of Hank Pym, Loki's like, actually, I'm going to stay and take over this whole planet, because Loki's going to Loki. Loki is always going to Loki, and I'm glad they did that. And that's going to move us on to what is probably my favorite episode of the series. Why are you saying probably? Just being coy. Just being a coy boy. Because it's probably also my favorite. All right, it is my favorite, okay? It's my favorite. Back it's off. It's the best one. Absolutely, it is. This, to me, is what What If is made for. Yes, absolutely. This is What If Doctor Strange Lost His Heart Instead of His Hands. It's the longest of the titles by far. Oh, without a doubt. This one, as it starts off, follows the Doctor Strange story pretty closely, until it doesn't. After completing a complicated medical procedure, Dr. Stephen Strange and Dr. Christine Palmer drive to a celebration party in his honor. So Christine Palmer is in the car in this version. Exactly. They still get into the car crash, but instead of Dr. Strange's hands getting all jacked up, Christine Palmer dies. Yeah, not great. Not what you want. No, especially because Strange really likes her. I would say loves. I think that's the word you're looking for there. He's got a crush on her. Uh, he like-likes. Yeah, he like-likes her. But she is, uh, she's dead. She's very dead. So Doctor Strange, in his grief, seeks out answers in Camartage, where he becomes a master of the mystic arts. The same way he did before, but this time he had his hands to use, so he probably did it quicker. Probably. But he's also going to learn, at Camartage, the Eye of Agamotto can manipulate time. Same thing that it could do in the regular universe that we know that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But here, he obviously gets that thought in his mind like, you know what? If I use this, I can bring back Christine. I can save her. The Ancient One and Wong are both like, hey, don't play with time. You could just completely ruin reality if you do that. But he's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do the thing. And he does the thing. And it doesn't work. So he does the thing again. And it doesn't work. And it does the thing again and again and again, and it just keeps not working. She keeps dying. He has to keep reliving her death over yeah. and over and over again. And he tries drastic things, like not even going to the party. He's like trying to talk them out different. of, like, let's just stay in tonight. Let's, yeah. let's not do it. And every single time, no matter what they do, no matter where they go, she eats it. The Ancient One eventually shows up and explains to him that trying to get around this fixed point in time 
is impossible because it's how he became a sorcerer to begin with. And if he could erase it, it would create a paradox that could destroy the entire universe. So naturally, he's going to get around this and create a paradox that destroys the entire universe. <laughs> he visits the lost library of Cagliostro, where he meets Obeng, who is the only original character in this entire series, or at least, I won't say original character, it's the only one who's introduced in What If. Right. Because he does exist in the Marvel comics, and spoiler alert, he is Cagliostro. Exactly. <laughs> Strange learns he can gain the power to save Palmer by absorbing other magical beings throughout the universe. So naturally, Strange is going to just start absorbing every magical being yeah. that he can. He wants oh. to collect them all. He treats his body like a Pokeball, and he's just <laughs> sucking these bad boys up. And a lot of them are really evil. They're so evil, and he gets more and more powerful slash evil with every single one that he sucks up. Evil's an interesting way to describe this Strange, because I don't know if it's accurate. So much, he, I don't know that he's evil so much as he's just selfish. That might be the right word for it. It comes off as evil just from the way that he starts to look yeah. as he keeps sucking all these beings in. Yeah. But he definitely is selfish. I mean, he's destroying an entire universe. Doesn't give a damn about for it. For his own personal gain. <laughs> right. After absorbing hundreds of powerful magical beings, Strange is told by Obeng that he's not powerful enough because he's only half of himself. Turns out the Ancient One split him into two people because she was like, this guy, he's going to try to do the thing that I told him not to do. <laughs> so she used dark dimension power to split him into two versions, one being this strange Supreme and the other being a regular version of Dr. Strange who just accepts Palmer's death. The boring version, really. The version we get in the MCU. So realistically, the ancient one separates Dr. Strange into the one who fucks and the one who makes love. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what she does. The one with tentacles and the one that looks like Sherlock. <laughs> what if Sherlock had tentacles? Better show. I mean, and that says something. That's a it's great a, show. It's a phenomenal show. <laughs> but with tentacles? Yes, please. Moriarty, he's got nothing on that. It's nothing you can do against tentacles. So the Ancient One believes that this boring strange can defeat the super powerful absorbed all the magical monsters of the universe, Strange, for reasons. She pulls him into the universe and says, you two, fight each other. And they do, very, very briefly. Because, yeah, Strange Supreme is Strange Supreme for a reason. Yeah, you don't just earn the title Supreme by being not as good as Boring Strange. Right, so he just sucks him right on up also. Now being whole again, he can reverse Palmer's death. But when he does, he's looking pretty gross. Uh, he's got tentacles and he's like, Kind of looks like a demon. And she's like, hey, yeah, gross. <laughs> it's pretty gross. It's pretty gnarly looking. I, I like that, though, because, again, yeah. very Twilight Zone, and I appreciate that. You spent so much time wondering if you could, you forgot to ask if you should. Yeah, that's pretty much what this one is in its entirety. So naturally, because Palmer's back, the paradox begins tearing reality apart. As they said it would. Exactly. And Strange is like, ah, oh, I'm all powerful, and now I know that the Watcher is here. So I'm going to be like, you, guy who's talking about everything, watching and telling, help me. And I love that, because even the Watcher's just like, no, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. This isn't how it works. <laughs> you don't get to talk to me. And the Watcher refuses to interfere, and I like how they plant that flag here, early enough yes. on within this run. And what happens is that the universe gets compacted into like this little small pocket 
room. It's not even a universe at this point. It's just a yeah. little pocket room that just houses Strange Supreme, and he's just left alone to grieve for forever now. Yeah, it's brutal. He done broke the universe. And what does he have to show for it? Nothing. Nothing at all. I want to get back to talking about this one later, because this one is just so goddamn beautiful, it's the way so that it's good. done. Yeah. To me, it's one of the most beautiful things Marvel's done. And I, I, we will get back to talking about this one, but let's keep powering on, because next up is What If Zombies! I love that. We go from what's probably the most deep emotional into the one that's just like, hey guys, we're going to have some fun now. Zombies. Yeah, everything's been so dark so far. Fuck it, zombies, man. Yeah, and yet... Zombies might be one of the more lighthearted episodes. So Bruce Banner's going to crash into the Sanctum Sanctorum, as he does. He's warning everyone of Thanos' invasion, but no one gives a damn, because a zombie invasion is broken out. Yeah, it's the damn apocalypse. Iron Man, Doctor Strange, and Wong, who are supposed to meet him there at the Sanctum Sanctorum, if you've seen Infinity War, they're outside being zombies. Right, so Hope Van Dyne luckily has to come and rescue him, and she's got to get him to the Resistance. Exactly. Where we have Peter Parker. And, and Peter Parker's like, hey, come meet the rest of our survivor group. It's Bucky and Okoye and Sharon Carter, and Happy Hogan, and Kurt. I love Kurt so much. Kurt's the best. David Destmalkian, just the best. It is. And I just love how they always throw that one extra in there. Doesn't need to be there. Yeah. Throw him in there. Put him in there. Build it out. And I love how they give the backstory here. Again, Hank Pym. Fucking Hank Pym. He found his long-lost wife, Janet Van Dyne, in the quantum realm. She's been infected with some sort of quantum virus, which just turns her into a zombie. They get her back to the lab, and then they just start biting everybody. It's not great. Yeah, they spread the virus throughout the entire Northwest. So obviously you send the Avengers to take care of that. But the Avengers get bitten too, and now you have super zombies, and they just take (laughs) over the entire world. It's amazing the way it's set up. The group needs to travel to Camp Lehigh, where they think there's a cure for this. Unfortunately, in between, are a lot of zombies. It's a whole lot of zombies. They get attacked by zombie Hawkeye, zombie Falcon, zombie Captain America. You get that big standoff with uh, zombie Captain America. It's Bucky and Cap yeah. doing the fight. And I really, really like the way that's set up, too. Yeah. Hawkeye ends up killing Happy and, and Sharon. And in the in the fight, Hope ends up getting bit. Yeah, not great for Hope, but she kind of deserves it because she's the one who broke everything in the first place. Or at least her family is. (laughs) You really don't want to lose Hope, though, you know? Hope's a good thing to have. But because she's been bitten, she sacrifices herself to help everybody else reach the camp. She does it by growing real big, which is a great idea at first because you're like, oh, yeah, a bunch of zombies. You'll be able to stomp a bunch of them because you're big. But then once you turn into a zombie, you're a giant zombie. Yeah, and the problem I have with this is that they decide they need to go over the zombies, so they're, like, in her hand as she walks across this field of zombies. Yeah. And my first thought was, you got big wings. That's true. I never think about when, when wasp gets big, you can just fly. <laughs> it's just a really big flying wasp now. That's all it is. Could have gone anywhere. Chose to go here. <laughs> <laughs> they reach the camp, and they find Vision, who is using the Mind Stone to reverse the virus effects, and we know that because we see Scott Lang's head in a jar. Which is amazing. He was one of the ones who got bit when Pym and Janet Van Dyne first returned, and now here he is, all fine, Futurama-style head in a jar. It's the best way to do it in my mind. And he's so much fun. He's just Paul Rudding all over the screen. All over the place. And what helps also is that he's got Doctor Strange's cape, 
He has his sort of quote-unquote body. Yeah. But it turns out that zombie Wanda is resistant to the Mind Stone because, that you know, that's how Wanda was created. So Vision has just been feeding other survivors to her. Which is fucked. That's super fucked. Like, he's just bringing her chunks of T'Challa for dinner. Just like, gotta feed my zombie wife because I can't cure her because my Mind Stone doesn't work on her. Do you think, like, Vision goes up to her with, like, a menu? Oh, definitely. Like, asking her to, like, pick out what she's in the mood for? (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine he, like, gets to choose, because, again, he's already made a terrible choice of feeding his friends to his not-wife. Right. Or whatever she is. I don't know. It's a crazy situation. It's absolutely insane. So Zombie Wanda breaks free and ends up killing Kurt, Okoye, and Bucky. Vision is like, I know what's happening here is pretty fucked up, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sacrifice myself and give you guys the Mind Stone so you can, you know, cure the world or whatever you think you need to do. That. It should be that. It should be exactly that, right. <laughs> so Peter Parker, Scott Lang's head, and T'Challa take the Mind Stone and they escape in the quad jet while Bruce Banner stays behind to battle Wanda and the zombies as the Hulk because, you know, he's the Hulk. It finally came out. He was finally able to get the green guy out there to fight. Yeah. And then we just abandoned it, just like the MCU does to Hulk all the time. Leave him behind, and we'll see how he's doing in the future. No, we won't. No, we won't. That's the end of the Hulk. (laughs) But the tree are going to head to Wakanda, and I love that, how you see like the big force field outside Wakanda, and you expect them to just fly in, and everything's going to be all fine. But inside Wakanda, it's zombie Thanos just waiting, and he's got the Infinity Gauntlet. And that's not great. That's not what you want. But that's a fun way to end. That's a very fun way to end. What would a zombie even do with the Infinity Gauntlet? Probably couldn't snap when you think about it. Like, he doesn't have that coordination. Right? <laughs> I mean, just be a lot of brains everywhere if he could. Just a mountain of brains. Mountains and mountains of brains. Mmm, brains. That does put a smile on my face. Up next, what if Killmonger rescued Tony Stark? There's an interesting thought. These two characters who have no connection. No business being connected to each other. (laughs) Throw them together, see what happens. In Afghanistan, Tony Stark's military convoy gets ambushed by the Ten Rings. He gets saved by Eric Killmonger Stevens, though, this time. Pretty nice getting rescued. He ends up hiring Killmonger because he's like, I'm super grateful for you saving my life. And Killmonger's like, yeah, I wouldn't have had to if Obadiah Stane didn't try to get you killed. (laughs) He just pulls the rug out of that movie, just... Just like that. Just Yeah. There's a rug. Pull. He did it. That should be the movie. Should be. The, during the Burger King press conference, we've already told the story. Stark is going to start building these drone robots that are designed by Killmonger. And I mean, Killmonger is in the military. So yeah. He has this wherewithal. He knows what's supposed to be there. And he builds one with Killmonger's vibranium ring as the power source. It's going to be a powerful robot. <laughs> it sure will be. But they're going to need more vibranium if they're going to make more of them. So they send Rhodey to buy a bunch of stolen vibranium from Ulysses Claw. Ulysses fucking Claw. You're right, Andy fucking Circus. Absolutely. At the meeting, T'Challa's going to show up. Black Panther attacks the meeting to reclaim the stolen vibranium, and Killmonger takes that opportunity to kill T'Challa and Rhodey, making it look like they killed each other. It's kind of genius. It's pretty smart. Especially because Rhodey recognizes what Killmonger's up to, and he says, like, kid, I could help you. You just need to be part of the system, and then I could help you. He recognizes that Killmonger is trying to go against this system Yeah. of what Stark is doing, what Rhodey's doing, this military-like system. He says, become a part of it. Don't fight against it. Don't do this. 
He's got his own agenda, and Rhodey recognizes that. And he's like, it's a lot easier to change it from the inside than it is to try to change it from the outside. It's very well put. Yeah. But Stark's going to confront Killmonger, and he kills Stark. And he made it look like the Dora Milaje did it. Yeah, there's a whole lot of uh, Tony Stark dying so far in this series. Yeah, I'm all right with it. We don't need it. Killmonger goes and creates an entire army of these drones with the stolen vibranium. And he and the United States Army enter into a conflict over the deaths of T'Challa, Rhodes, and Stark. Because it's now been framed like Wakanda was involved. It looks like Wakanda did all these killings so far. So the army, led by General Ross, used the Stark drones to invade Wakanda. And while that's happening, Killmonger goes and kills Claw and then presents him to the Wakandans as like, Hey guys, I'm one of you. I'm a member of the family. Welcome me home. And they do. They do. Shuri is a little suspicious of him, but the rest of the family is like, we'll see. Give you a trial run. Right. We don't have T'Challa here anymore, so there's a hole that needs filling in our family, so this seems good enough. So when the military invades with these drones, Killmonger's got a secret kill switch, and he shuts them all down, and everybody rejoices. But once they're behind that, that wall, he reactivates them so he can kill them on his own terms and lead the Wakandans and prove to them that he's a hero. Kind of genius. Super manipulative. Pretty smart. After the battle, King T'Chaka is going to bestow the Black Panther on the Killmonger, and in the astral plane, T'Challa's just like, God damn it! <laughs> yeah, exactly. How the hell are you here? This is not going to work for you. <laughs> I really hope. <laughs> and then we get another one of those weird pre-credit, post-credit scenes where Shuri goes and meets with Pepper Potts, and they're going to work together to expose Killmonger. Yeah, good luck. Have fun. This guy's... So many steps ahead. If we've learned anything so far in this, Pepper Potts is going to die, and Shuri's going to get framed for it. (laughs) Yeah. But I love this story because Killmonger got told, you got to be a part of the system. You can do a better job destroying something from the inside than the outside. So he just goes inside the other thing. The other system. he always wanted all along. He just kept setting up these pins and knocking them down. Just kept going and going and going until he was finally within Wakanda was in front of King T'Challa, he became the Black Panther, the thing that he always wanted in that in the Black Panther movie itself. It's like, that is a neat way to do it. Yeah. It's interesting that they took these two very different stories and changed them in a way that they both still told the same story. It got to a similar place, that's for sure. Yeah. But the journey was, frankly, more interesting in my mind. <laughs> but I really like how manipulative he was. I like that a lot. Yeah. And that brings us to the next episode, episode number seven. What if Thor were an only child? And this one's just fun. This is by far the most fun one. This one is fan service to the max. Oh, absolutely. Because at the end of the Asgard-Jotunheim War, Odin returns the frost giant baby Loki to Laufey, and they just become buds. Just like, all right, cool. frost giants and the Asgardians are buds now. We're not going to fight anymore. We're just going to hang out sometimes. So years later, when Odin goes into his Odin sleep, as he does... Frigg is like, all right, Thor, I'm going to go hang out with my sisters, be good, study. And Thor's like, yes, Mom, I will. No parties. No parties. So naturally, Thor's going to go to Earth and have a giant party. We're going to have a giant Midgard party. A Midgardy. <laughs> is that really what you want to go with? Do you feel good? <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel okay with it. <laughs> all right. Jane Foster's going to warn the government that the Thor party animal's on his way. When she meets Thor, though, she falls in love. Yep, that's going to happen. As Phil Coulson described him in the other episode, just gorgeous. That's all it is. And I love how they get like the matching tattoos 
of like oh, that yes. now Thor has a science tattoo on his arm <laughs> with a microscope. And it's so weird because Jane Foster, I want to say, is acting out of character, but everyone is, and that's the idea. Yeah. They're just having like a night on the town and parting the entire episode. It's very good. More and more aliens arrive for the party, and it starts to get pretty out of hand, uh, threatening the entire planet, basically. So Maria Hill, who's acting director of S.H.I.E.L.D. because something happened to Nick Fury throughout all the partying... She calls in Carol Danvers to try to get Thor to get out of here. He says no. They fight. While they're fighting, Jane Foster contacts Heimdall because she's like, oh, if Thor's real, all of that stuff must be real. So she just starts yelling to Heimdall in the sky. And he's like, yep, <laughs> I, I'm, I hear you. I like how it works. I love that. And he sets it up so she gets to meet Frigga. And then she's like, hey, your kid, he's destroying my planet. So Maria Hill decides she's just going to nuke Thor. Hey, you know what? Why not? (laughs) It's a good way to solve a problem, I guess. But the way that they get around this is Frigga contacts Thor and says she's going to be home soon. (laughs) Yeah. She shows up via like a hologram and she's like, Thor, I heard you were partying instead of studying. He's like, no, mom, I would never. She's like, all right, well, I'm on my way. So we'll find out. Thor's going to convince everybody to clean up after this party because he doesn't want to get in trouble with his mom. I love how basically this is a Thor cat in the hat. That's all it is. Yes, yes. This is like an 80s party movie starring Thor. We're like, oh no, mom and dad are coming home. We got to clean up. Frigga does come home, and Thor is just with his study group. Nice and simple. Yep. Before they return to Asgard, Thor visits Jane to give her shit about being a tattletale. But he's like, I know you were right, and you were just, you know, saving your world or whatever, but come on. You didn't have to tell my mom. Come on. (laughs) But they decide they're going to go on a date. He's like, oh, I'm going to bring you to a world with unicorns and everything. I mean, it's going to be great. But then Ultron shows up in Vision's body with all six Infinity Stones. Yeah, that's not great at all. That's never what you want. And credits. I like how they have this very loose runner going on of, yeah, there's a story, and it does progress little by little. Yeah. And you do see a lot more of the Watcher as this thing goes on as well. Yes. They're trying to make him more of a... Not so much a background character, but a central character to it. And that leads us into, what if Ultron won? And I love how Ultron is finally getting some respect, because Avengers Age of Ultron certainly didn't do it. That's for sure. I agree with that. But the Watcher tells us about this world where Ultron successfully uploads himself into the Vibranium Vision body, as we saw, and launched Earth's entire nuclear arsenal. The two sole survivors of humanity, though... The two without powers, because of course, it's Black Widow and Hawkeye. (laughs) I feel like anybody with powers would have been a target, so that makes sense. I guess so. They get overlooked often, so why not? And then when Thanos arrives on Earth, because that's what he does, he has the other five Infinity Stones, and Ultron's just like, well, that's interesting, and slices him in half with the Mind Stone. Didn't even bother just going for the head. He just went right down the middle of the whole thing. Didn't know that was an option. Vision looks like an idiot now, kneeling before Wanda, waiting for the stone to get exploded. Yep, he just could have lit up his forehead and just ended it right there. Could have just sliced him in half. So Ultron's going to create this massive drone army now. He wipes out pretty much all life in the universe. (laughs) He destroys Asgard, he destroys the Sovereign, he destroys Sakaar, Ego, Xandar. Captain Marvel's going to interfere. That doesn't even work. Nope. He ends up blowing up the whole planet with her on it. He completes his mission, and Ultron is just sitting there going like, wow, there's peace. It's nice and quiet. Everyone got off my lawn. This is great. 
<laughs> There's nothing left to kill. And I like how the Watcher's explaining that to us. And then Ultron goes, who said that? And uh, the Watcher's like, wait a minute. That's not <laughs> supposed to happen. I love that twist so much. And the Watcher's like in this weird crystal world that's in between the universes. And he like pretty much just turns off the TV and he's like, no, 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 no. Nope, nope, nope. Nope, nope this isn't <laughs> happening. It's fun to see the Watcher just nope out of the situation that fast. Clint and Natasha recognize that they're fighting like these Ultron bots. They got to find a virus. They got to find something that's going to stop them. Yeah. They go to the KGB storage facility, if you will, in Russia. It's just box on box on box of all this information. And they're just sorting through it all willy-nilly, not knowing really what they're looking for. Just grab a box and hope it works out. And the Watcher's standing there looking over them, watching, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) And he's debating with himself if he should interfere. Right. Because he recognizes, like, there's going to be nothing for me to watch if everything gets destroyed. This is a problem. This threat is very severe, and it might be time for me to, you know, move some things in some directions to make sure there's still a multiverse to watch. They get lucky, and they find a copy of Armin Zola's mind, or at least the directions to it. Yes. And they go there. They go there. they have to talk to Armin Zola on the computer, and I love that. It's uh, it's a great callback to Winter Soldier. They end up downloading Zola onto like a flash drive that is an arrow. Of course. Because of course. Hawkeye and his metal arm are like, I got an arrow for this. They kind of bring all the Ultron drones to them, or at least a whole bunch from them, if you will. And one gets through the force field they've kind of set up. I call it a force field. Some people just call it a door. <laughs> it's both. It's like a physical <laughs> force field. I guess so. I heard it when it came out. I was like, that's, that's not what it is at all. It's just a door. <laughs> not like my wife yells at me for, open the force field, let the dog out. <laughs> my parents used to all the time, like, in or out, you can't keep opening and closing the force field. Will you please close the force field? We don't live in a barn. I'm not trying to heat the neighborhood. <laughs> close the force field. <laughs> they get one of the Ultron drones. They stab him in the eye. And they upload Zola. Now Zola's got a body, which is Zola's pretty neat. Zola's got a body, and he's loving it. But he cannot communicate with Ultron to try to upload this virus to the hive mind because Ultron's no longer in their universe. Which is a big problem. That's a huge problem. As all the drones start attacking, Clint sacrifices himself to let Black Widow and Zola escape. I love how you have this sacrificing issue come up again yeah i like that a lot and, between and these it two plays characters, out the opposite as it did in endgame which is is nice oh it's terrific but ultron's gonna break through this multiverse separator into this prism where the watcher is and these two are gonna fight each other yeah the watcher now is probably the most central character of the show and it, it is really on his shoulders the entire time yeah. everything that we see is what the watcher is watching who watches the watcher Apparently Ultron does now, (laughs) but they fight and they are going through every imaginable universe as they fight, which is just so, so cool and so well done. And uh, we talked about the animation at the top of the show, but my favorite thing this show did out of everything it did was the Kirby dots. Oh, it was terrific. It was such a genius move. They really did. The show just really started showing off at this point with the animation because- yeah, it was a little bit flat and a little bit, I don't want to call it static. It was just trying to like get you adjusted to the cell shading animation in yeah. like the Captain Carter. But now it's just like, no, bitch. Now we're going, we're going all the way. Ultron ends up beating the Watcher. 
Yeah, that's not great. The Watcher flees to the only place he knows that this is where Ultron won't look for me. And it is Strange Supreme's tiny little collapsed pocket dimension. We bring it right back. Yeah. It's amazing. It is all tied together. How about that? And the Watcher's going to have to ask Strange for help because Ultron is going to destroy the multiverse now. Not just the universe, the multiverse. Every universe. And that brings us to the season finale, What If the Watcher Broke His Oath? Which is probably the ultimate question (laughs) that you can ask. Yeah. The Watcher's known to do this from time to time in the comics, or a lot in the comics. He is, but nothing's ever been this broken before. That's true. Like, this is severely broken at this point. And I like how it's Ultron who does it. I I love love the respect that they're giving Ultron. Finally, put some respect on his name. We should mention, Ross Markhan is doing the voice of Ultron. He found a balance between the Paul Bettany and James Spader. Which I didn't know existed, but here we are. You got to get a guy who just does impressions all day to show up and combine two. Nailed it. Perfect. But here... We get to just start recruiting people, which is very fun. And it's all the characters that we've now know and love. So you have Star-Lord T'Challa. You have a variant of Gamora who killed Thanos. But the Watcher openly says that Tony Stark that she's with, he doesn't want him. Yeah, I don't want you. You die a lot. Which is amazing also. (laughs) He wants Black Panther Killmonger. He wants Party Thor. He wants Strange Supreme. And he wants Peggy. Right, Peggy, who is currently living out Captain Carter the Winter Soldier. Which is amazing also. Fighting Batroc the Leaper. They tie that in there. Zalipa. But the Watcher is now created, as he calls it, the Guardians of the Multiverse. Pretty neat. It is very neat. They travel to a universe that lacks any intelligent life to prepare because they know Ultron won't look there. But naturally, Thor, being party Thor and being very flippant, I think is the word. (laughs) That's the right word for it. Summons some, some lightning and draws Ultron's attention. Yeah, he's not very covert at all. No. No, he has never had to hide a day in his life. Strange steps up and he's going to start casting spells on the Guardians of the Multiverse, protecting them. And I got to imagine, these spells are really, really strong for all the abuse that these guys are about to take. Oh, yeah. And they just do an absolute onslaught onto Ultron, just hitting them with everything they have. And Ultron is like, all right, I see what you're doing here, but do you see me? (laughs) That's all he really needs to say is, have you met Ultron? I'm going to kick your ass now. <laughs> and the whole plan that the Gardens Multiverse have is that Gamora has this Infinity Stone crushing machine, right? if you will. The Infinity Crusher. And the plan is kind of to get Gamora off planet to a safe place where they need to now get the Soul Stone. And they come up with the plan for T'Challa, Star-Lord T'Challa, to steal the Soul Stone from Ultron, crush it, and that's going to really just ruin Ultron. That's the idea. So while they're hitting Ultron with everything they have, T'Challa manages to steal the Soul Stone, and then Strange summons a giant horde of zombies as a distraction, which is great. (laughs) It would distract me, too. They just fall out of the sky and pile on. I love it. It's awesome. And they're like, oh, wow, a lot of zombies. I mean, they can't bite them or anything. That's great. It's like, not so much all the zombies. There's one in particular we're looking for. And it's Zombie Wanda, who's like, oh, you're the guy who killed my brother. I'm going to be very angry at you. And then when she launches some attack at him, it doesn't work. He's just like, that was cute. And she's like, oh, shit, even as a zombie, I know that's not good. (laughs) I like how they establish this Wanda as this all-powerful being just 
what, two episodes ago, whatever it was, last yeah. episode, and nothing here. Yeah. Doesn't work again. I just love how powerful this Ultron is. They just is. keep elevating this Ultron, yeah. Which is such a smart move, throwing everything they have at him, and it just doesn't work. Yeah. It makes you feel hopeless. Definitely. While he's distracted, they all escape to his home universe, where they're joined by Black Widow, who's still there. They gain her trust very quickly, because Peggy says, like, friend stuff that only she would know right. about Natasha. And she's like, oh, I guess we're BFFs now. Cool. All right. That works. Ultron quickly finds them on his home universe. And Strange just starts unleashing everything he's got on him. He's using the tentacles. He's, he's got dragons. He's doing all sorts of cool stuff. And they use Gamora's Infinity Crusher, powered by the Soul Stone, just right on his chest where he's keeping all these Infinity Stones. And it turns out, don't work. It doesn't work. Gamora says, oh, this was only meant to destroy Infinity Stones on my planet. Which is really stupid. You got to think of the multiverse, Gamora. But I, it's funny because why would she have to? She became part of this team because she had this Infinity Stone Crusher for her. Just in general, I guess they didn't think about the fact that it's probably not going to work elsewhere. Yeah, it, it might not work once you remove it from its own universe. So Natasha and Peggy come up with a plan. And that plan involves Natasha driving a motorcycle really cool and Peggy jumping really, really far <laughs> that is the plan. An arrow being fired and Captain Carter just stabbing Ultron in the eye with the Zola virus arrow because, yeah, why not? Why not indeed? It's all things we've seen in the past just coming together now and this is all we have left. We are officially at the end of things that we could do. We, <laughs> we better have, hope this works. We have our list of MacGuffins from the rest of the show and we're just doing, we're just Chekhov, Chekhov. Chekhov. Exactly. <laughs> and Zola pops up, and I like how you have the inside the mind of Ultron. Zola and Ultron are talking to each other, yes. and Zola just takes over, completely erases Ultron from the inside. Which is fascinating to me. It is fascinating to me as well, but now you have a dead Ultron just laying there, who's also kind of Zola. But then, there's this. Uh, there's one guy in a team that nobody ever really trusted very much, who's like, oh, I think I want me them stones. And it's Killmonger. Right, and he's had this Ultron head that he's kind of just been messing around with on the side, yeah. which, red flag, right? red flag. You shouldn't let this guy mess around with anything electronic after what he pulled in order to become the Black Panther, because, yeah, it's Killmonger. Yeah, he takes the stones and puts on Ultron's body as armor, which is a thing you can do. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> And while he's becoming all-powerful Killmonger, which is a terrifying thought, Zola's yes, like, hey, wait a minute. I'm a bad guy, too. I want those stones. I earned them fair and square. So now these two are fighting over the stones. They're both using their mind powers to pull the stones towards themselves, and they're just caught in limbo there. And that's when Strange Supreme and the Watcher are like, this is where what we're trying to get to, is where nobody has the stones, and they collapse them into their own pocket dimension. Which is a really, really cool idea. Yeah, I like that the Watcher was pulling a Killmonger, really, and was a couple steps ahead. and was like, I need you two to fight over this so I can trap you. Because if one person has them, they're going to be too powerful. Right. But now somebody needs to watch over this pocket dimension. And I like how Strange takes it. He's like, I got all eternity. What else am I going to do? Strange Supreme doesn't have much else to, to nope. think about. So He doesn't. The Watcher returns Strange, Carter, T'Challa, Gamora, and Thor to their respective universes. And Natasha's like, I'm the only human left in my universe. I'm not going back there. I will not do it. So the Watcher's like, all right, 
Don't say he's like, all right. The Watcher says some of the most beautiful things I've ever heard in Marvel here. Let's hear it. Natasha kind of calls him out on saying, like, you just want to watch. That's all you want to do. He's like, I'm the fucking Watcher. Of course I want to watch. It's literally my name. I need these stories. These stories are important to me. And to me, it made me realize that the Watcher this entire time is just the audience. Oh. It's us. I'm also watching. But it's one of those things of, we all do it as fans, where we always drop the what if on oh, each yeah. other whenever we talk about this stuff. Speculation. And that's all that the Watcher's doing. He's like, I need these stories. Like, this is important to me. We all need these stories. We all need that escapism. And it really, really hit home for me because that's exactly what comics are when it comes down to it. It is all escapism. It is all, you had a hard day at work? Go read a comic. Go live in that world for just a little bit. Go live with your heroes that are established. All these comics are are just your new modern mythology. They're your new tall tales. Oh, yeah. It's a great distraction from being an adult. It could be a great distraction from being a kid. It could give you this courage as a kid who get, grows up being bullied, as we usually see with a lot of kids who read comic books, unfortunately. They get looked at as these nerds, but now you have this giant culture growing up with the MCU becoming so big. With the DCEU doing whatever it does. (laughs) But man, comics are cool now. Yeah. And the MCU is extremely cool now. And The Watcher reminds us all of that, of these are stories that we all need. And it's not these things of, you have some movies that aren't as good as others, and that's fine. You have some stories that aren't as good as others, that's fine. You have some movies that really touch you. I watched Brian hold an entire pack of tissues during Endgame in his hands. <laughs> I've watched this. I didn't open them the first time. The second time, I definitely <laughs> used them. But it just touched me so much that the Watcher is calling this out. He is being us. He's being the thing that we love to speculate about, the world that we love to live in. And I just absolutely loved everything that he said here. Yeah, I um, I was lost on me, apparently, because I did not see the connection. But now that you pointed out, Absolutely. But the whole thing also, maybe there's not a connection. Maybe it's just my interpretation. Could and that's be. okay, too. Because I thought he was just being like, if these stories don't happen, uh, what am I going to watch? My name's, my name's The Watcher. I can't just sit around doing nothing. I think in a more literal way, that's it. Yeah. But there's definitely a subtext to it there. But I think it's all written in the subtext on this one. Yeah. That's just my interpretation. If there does, It could be wrong. It could be right. It could be wrong. Ultimately, who gives a fuck? That's true. <laughs> that's what it is though that's all this stuff is right it's why me and you don't come in hard saying some things are good some things are bad exactly you like what you like man you like what you like you can find meaning in anything and even if it wasn't intended that way even though i think you're right this one probably was that meaning is still totally legitimate my interpretation said that the watcher is all of us yeah he's reminding us why we love these stories so much how you could take the story of captain america and just change it the littlest bit. And now it's an entirely new story. Right. But it still feels familiar. It's something that we still love. But it's just a little different now. It's something new. And that's kind of at the heart of all of what What If is. Absolutely. It's these stories that we love. Just with a little flair to them. A little change. Something new. The same story, but different. I admittedly didn't love this entire series. Same. Until this ending. And it, I felt like it brought it all together of like, who cares? Like, this was enjoyable enough to watch. That's true. Who cares? Yeah. Why am like, I putting so much stock in into, into connectivity to the main universe, to the sacred timeline? 
these are still fun stories. I just love it so much. It's about the stories. It's about the characters. Yeah. Are some better than others? Sure. Absolutely. Either way, it doesn't matter. It's just about the story. You live it. You love it. You hate it. Who cares? Right. So what the Watcher does after all of that, he sends Natasha to the universe from the one episode where Hank Pym killed everybody because they lost their Black Widow. So she helps that team defeat Loki, that team which is mostly Captain America and Captain Marvel, and now Black Widow. <laughs> now Black Widow. And then we get a weird sort of post-credit, if you will. This one is actually the most post-credit because credits happened before it. That's true. And then credits <laughs> happened after. So it's really a mid, but that's yeah. what Marvel does now. It's a mid. Peggy in her universe is Natasha. We know it's hers because this one has straight hair and right. not the curly hair. Exactly. It's, <laughs> it's Winter Soldier era Black Widow. They discover the Hydra Stomper armor, and she says there's someone inside. Dun, dun, dun. Stay tuned for season two. Exactly. Overall, what are your impressions of season one of What If? Overall, I think as a whole, I really like what they did. There are a couple episodes that didn't land as well, but I think once it all came together at the end, I was very happy that I watched it all. I think I'm in the same boat. There's some that landed, some that didn't. It's a half hour show. What am I going to do? Watch another episode of Seinfeld instead? No, I'd rather watch something new. I kind of liked how they tied it all together because I didn't watch these in order. Oh. Because... I started watching them in order, and then I fell like two episodes behind Sure, just from being busy, and then I would catch up, and then I just like, fuck it. I'll just catch up the day before we record this thing. This is one of those shows sure. that, until the very end, you can watch out of order, though, because it's mostly an anthology. I thought that, but it is important that it does tie together in my mind, because I feel like it's necessary that it, it tells a full story, because that's the way the MCU is, is set exactly. up at this point. There can't be anything standalone anymore. Right. Everything, has, Everything to has to tie. Which is why I found it weird that it didn't tie in directly with the uh, sacred timeline. But that's something that I'm sure time will remedy. I'm sure it is. But I also loved how it showed that there are multiple timelines going on because these aren't really what ifs. They happened. Right. They are technically canon. And I think that's important, too, is that the what if of the what if is bullshit because it should be what is. What is if? It's it. I think that's the first time we've ever tied it all back to the opening. Damn. Feels like we just did a what if. We just did a what if. <laughs> we did a full MCU thing. There's not really a way for us to do a, a super stuff score for this. No. Because there's lots of heroes, lots of villains, lots of stories being told. How about we pick out two or three of our favorites, two or three of our least favorites. But again, it doesn't matter. You like what you like. Exactly. That's um, okay. That sounds like fun. I would, I'm down for that. I think we both have the same favorite. Yes. Doctor Strange lost his heart instead of his hands. Absolutely. Just excellent. The most character-based episode. It is, and I was like tearing up watching it because same. it's one of those things where when you're watching it, you're just like rooting for this guy, even though you see the slope that he's going down. Yeah. You're like, something's got to work. Something's got to work. Right. Something's got to work. And it just isn't working. And eventually he goes so far that he just destroys everything, yeah. all because he's selfish. And I thought that that was just brilliant. It's very good. I love that episode. And I'm not sure we're done with Strange Supreme. I don't think we are, and I'm okay with that. I'm very excited about that, in fact. What's your second favorite episode? My second favorite is probably What If Thor Were an Only Child. It's very fun. It's very fan servicey, and damn it, I'm a fan, and I feel serviced. 
That's good. There are so many Easter eggs and just cameos, and it's just a ton of fun. And the story is so low stakes because it's basically a house party. It's it's I enjoy it a lot. I can't decide if I like that one or if What If Ultron won more. Yeah. And I liked the Ultron winning one a lot because it just felt like the escalation of it. Absolutely. Was just ridiculous. And to the point where the Watcher had to get involved, how he got dragged into it. I really just love that. Yeah. And you know what? There's something to be said about the penultimate episode. I just had to use the word penultimate again. Of course you I did. that word. It's a, it's a scenario a lot like Infinity War where the bad guy ends up winning at the end and you're like, ah, they did the thing. <laughs> they did do the thing. And they did the thing to like an extreme this and, time. Exactly. And it just, it was really cool. But then also you have to land it at the end. You have to have that finale and you have to land it. Exactly. Or else there's no, there's no point to having that penultimate be that high stake. Right. And the stakes were through the roof on that one. Story-wise, did it land? In that final episode. I think so. Overall, I think it landed. There were a couple misfires here. The, the Killmonger seemed like he's being included to be included. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. I didn't like that they brought in after they had to push this episode to next season, the Gamora. Because Gamora and Tony Stark have their own episode, but it got pushed to season two. And that's kind of bizarre of them to do. Yeah. Because that makes it seem like Gamora was just there. I would have preferred them doing that episode and saving what if the Watcher broke his oath for next season and leave it on the Ultron cliffhanger. That would have been very cool, especially if you kind of pull a Loki and say, like, we're coming back, baby. Yeah. Season two. See you then. It is coming back for a season two. Yes. Uh, it's actually go. all been written, so. That's fantastic news. I thought that this thing kind of stuck the landing pretty well. Yeah. But I really loved how that finale really captured the spirit of what if, what it actually like kind of stands for, because- what if could get really, really goofy and wild? And Marvel even understood that because they put out a list of their wildest what ifs. Oh, nice. So you have what if Dazzler became the Herald of Galactus. Okay. That's, which is just silly. That's insane and I love it. What if Thanos joined the Avengers? Sure. I feel like that's a story that's been told a few times though. What if Aunt May had been bitten by that radioactive spider? That makes me very happy. So you have happy. spider Aunt May. <laughs> I love that. What if Cyclops and Jean Grey never fell in love? And I actually wrote the sequel to that book called Who Gives a Shit? <laughs> uh, better X-Men universe is what it sounds like. And then, of course, because the Marvel guys just had to go all the way in, they wrote, what if the original Marvel bullpen had become the Fantastic Four? That sounds like some Stan Lee wanting to be in a comic because that's what Stan Lee does. Exactly. So Stan Lee was Mr. Fantastic. Sal Brodsky was the Human Torch. Jack Kirby was the thing, because disrespect. And Flo Steinberg <laughs> was Invisible Girl. Oh, that's fun. It's something. The one that I remember seeing the title of was, um, what if Hulk smart Bruce not? That is so good. And just the title is like, ah, I love it. It's perfect. I think What If is such a, a cool jumping off point. I was worried for this show. Yeah. Just because, again, the goofiness is there. It's inherent in the title. It, it opens up the world to just complete nonsense if you want. Right. But overall, I think they did a really, really good job. I do, too. I, some of the stories were more grounded in the existing stories, which I think helped ground the things that were more out there. 
Yeah, I think it helped the audience connect a little bit better. Yeah. Saying like, oh no, this is all warm and comfy blanket here for you. Because something like too wild. Something like <laughs> what if zombies without the context of something like the Peggy Carter episode would just it seem work. so out there. Yeah, it wouldn't work at all. So So there you go. That's what if. That is what if. I can't wait for season two. But I guess we should find out what we're talking about next week first. That's right. Next week. We're going to be doing our Halloween episode unofficially because I believe the week after we're also doing our Halloween episode. That's right. It's a spooky month. You get two Halloweens and that's always fun. <laughs> sure. But next week we're going to be talking about Brightburn. It's like a story of an evil Superman. What if Superman was a mean boy? That's basically what it is. It's a what <laughs> if. Kind of ties together. How about that? I don't know how we managed to do that because that was not intentional. Go us. I love happy accidents, man. It's my favorite kind of accident. Until then, be sure to rate, review, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're following us on. Like and follow us on our social media at Kate Podcasters. Visit our website, katepodcasters.com, where we have all the episodes and links to all of our social media. And you can check out our Patreon. This month, more so than ever, go see our Patreon page. Click on the things. Give the money, because all of it is going directly to... Extra Life to raise money for the Children's Miracle Network of Hospitals. Every single dollar we raise this month on Patreon is going directly to there. Even if it is only a dollar, it is all going to a really, really good place. I don't care if you give the dollar for the month of October and then bail in November. Right. I don't care. You you got some episodes you can listen to while you give your dollar, but at the same time, that's not what this is about. Exactly. This is about raising money for the kids. And just to prove that we want you over there, we did a banger of a movie this month. We did Super Mario Brothers. I was going to say, banger was a bold choice. Well, the movie itself, not so much. Because <laughs> that movie bombed at the box office. Hey, oh, I see what you did there. But how much fun is it? And nostalgia <laughs> It's tripping, a lot of fun. John Leguizamo, best friend of the show. And the production behind that movie is insane, and we get into it in that episode. And we should mention, it's the Super Mario Brothers extended cut. <laughs> it sure is which you can find anywhere on the internet if you want to watch it before listening to the episode. That's true. As always, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to katepodcasters at gmail.com, or you can hang out on our Facebook page, and the day we record, we put up a post asking for your questions or comments. We got one from exactly who you'd expect. It is Captain Spoiler Micah. He wrote, Pick one alternative podcast and tell us what your lives would be like if you were what if and became hosts of that show instead of your own show. I have one. I do, too. Why don't you go first? What if I was behind a Burger King in Chicago and fell into the magical, fantastical <laughs> land of Foon? It's Hello from the Magic Tavern, and I am in the place of Arnie, hanging out with Chunt and Usador. That is fantastic. Your boon companions. Yeah, my boon companions. Exactly. You're so lucky. Good for you. Uh, Hello from the Magic Tavern is a fun-as-hell podcast. Uh, if completely you improv Completely improv and... Somehow they stick to their canon. I don't know how they do it. It's like I don't know either. There's several hundred episodes in now, and just kudos to them. And what's also crazy about that podcast is you've heard their voices before as well if you've played any of the Jackbox games. That's true. Because that's them as well. Dave, what podcast would you what if into? I would what if into Office Ladies. Oh, okay. Because the entire premise of that is it's two best friend gals, Jenna Fisher, Angela Kinsey, telling stories because they were there 
I think it'd be funny as hell to have one guy who wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a fun gimmick. I like that. Just talking, Jenna Fisher's talking to me. Oh, this is where I made out with John Krasinski. And I'd be like, all right, I'm definitely the watcher in this one, aren't I? <laughs> do I interfere? I don't, I do not know what to do. That's kind of like the camera guy in those late seasons. It was the sound guy, and we don't talk about right, that. Right, right. We don't talk about sound guy Brian. The quickest ever abandoning of a storyline <laughs> in television history. <laughs> well, there you go, Micah. Thank you for writing in. That was fun. Brian, you got anything else? That's it for me. Fantastic. We're going to see you guys next week for Brightburn. Same pod time? Same pod? What if Zuckerberg was the watcher? <laughs> 